Hello friends, and welcome to Anything Goes. And hello to all of you new listeners just tuning in for the first time. I'm your host, Joseph Guzman, and I'm so glad to have you all here. Hello to all of you all over the world tuning in. Let's jump into today's episode. What do you say? Hey friends, just wanted to take a quick minute to let you know and remind you, this podcast needs support. Uh, So, how are a few ways you can support it? Uh, Well, one, you can go to anchor.fm forward slash Joseph, J-O-S-E-P-H hyphen Guzman, G-U-Z-M-A-N hyphen M-A. There you can click on that support button and you can become a monthly supporter of the podcast for 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. This is a monthly recurring and so you can set it and forget it, as Ronco would say. Uh, And that really would be a great help for me to continue to grow this podcast and expand it out to build out website. Uh, to be able to eventually hire some people on to manage some of these things for me, because for those of you, if you've ever tried to do a podcast, it is a lot of work to create the content, to refine the content down, to produce and record and edit and upload and get everything scheduled out for podcasting. It's a lot of work. Uh, And so... um, In order for me to be able to do this a little more easily, finances helps. Beyond that, another way you can help is to share this. Share the podcast link on your social media. Uh, Share it with friends. You can text the link to friends, whatever. Uh, If you share it on social media, I do ask that you do me a couple of favors. One, please make sure sure that you mention... uh, the link so that people can actually go and click on it and listen in. And two, uh, make sure to use the hashtag AnythingGoesPodcast. That would really help me out in getting the message out about the show and help me to have more uh, growth in the community. And as we have more increase in funding, then I can open up website and start doing other things and bring people on. Anyways, I'm going to shut up now so we can get back to the show, which is really what you want to hear. So, let's get back to that. Hello, friends, and welcome to Anything Goes. I'm your host, Joseph Guzman, and welcome to all of my new listeners just tuning in for the first time. Glad to have you here. Um, make sure you jump back a few episodes if you're just tuning in for the first time. Uh, We're currently in the midst of a series looking at uh, myths about plagues in history, and so we've already gone through three episodes talking through some of this, so you might want to jump back a few. Not to mention, I'm sure there's plenty of subjects within the last 80-some-odd episodes I have recorded that you might find interesting. All of that said, friends, 
I hope that this episode is finding you doing all right in life. Even more ideal is if this episode is finding you doing great in life. I would love that. I certainly love it when my days are going great. <laughs> and I'm sure that's true for all of you as well. Well, friends, for those of you that have already been following along, you know, as I said, we've been going through a series. Um, as, we've, as we continue forth, we're going to be jumping back over into Germany, looking at some of these other uh, myths, and we'll jump over to a few other countries. As I said at the beginning, I won't go through all of these. Um, I've already mentioned what it was in the beginning, so you can go and look it up and kind of look through some more of those for yourself. And they all have more reference information that you can use. I'm just looking at some of these and then trying to draw some correlation, if there are any I can see, with modern times and maybe some of the reasons we tend to behave as we do around things like plagues or, or, or anything else, how we might develop some of these stories that can become um, social norms, that can become uh, conflated with misunderstood facts and therefore we can start getting conspiratorial things. So, that all said, let's jump on in. And as I've been doing, I'm just going to mention what we're going to talk about, and then I'm just going to read it. So, we're back in Germany, and this myth is called The Tall Man in the Murder Lane in Hof, as in Hof, Germany. H-O-F. So, here we go. In 1519, just before the plague killed so many people in Hof, a large, tall, black man was seen in Murder Lane. Now let me clarify here, I don't think it's talking about color of skin. I think it's more of an imagery reference to something, you know, like the idea of something in the dark or, or evil, right? Uh, his widespread legs reached both sides of the street, so a very big being, and his head rose far above the housetops. My great-grandmother, Walberg Wittmann, herself saw how he walked along this street one evening with one foot at the tavern's entrance and the other foot across the street in front of the large house there. She was so frightened that she did not know which way to go. In God's name and making the sign of the cross, she advanced in the middle of the street and passed between his legs. Had she not dared to do this, the ghost would have followed her. But she barely escaped when the ghost clapped his legs together so hard that all the houses in Murder Lane nearly collapsed. Soon afterward, the plague befell the city, and it was first felt in Murder Lane. First of all, I'm sure it's different in that culture, but my goodness, in the American culture, that would be a terrible name for a street, is Murder Lane. Oh my goodness, talk about ominous. <laughs> um, that said, right, here we are once again seeing a figure with, you know, now this figure seems to be all black, right? It's this darkened figure. But here we are again seeing this figure, this entity, this creature, um, that's been anthropomorphized um, to um, kind of look like something more uh, representational to humanity. 
right? We think about the the previous one with the young girl that was all in yellow, uh, the creature in uh, Wales that came out that was like a creature with like golden eyes and teeth and hair or something like that. Um, uh, these references of these women that were oftentimes related to that in some way. Uh, so you see how there's these commonalities that start to emerge, right? And um, and so we see that, right? And here, once again, we see this reference to faith, right? The lady crosses herself as she tries to dare to pass between the legs of this creature. Um, <clears throat> I don't know enough to know where it started specifically, but it's interesting that it points out that the legs of this creature, right, the feet, where one was at the street uh, in front of the tavern uh, entrance, and the other was across the street at a large house. It could be that that's a visual that they were ref referencing to point out where the breakout started, was at the tavern and at this large house they're referencing. Uh, but it's not clear as to where uh, from what I have here. That said, right, um, this, this once again has some reference to something, right? We're trying to make sense of something we didn't understand. And this is a common thing for humanity, no matter what time it is, what time in history that is, uh, is that we're always trying to figure out a way to make sense of what we can't make sense of. And so a common thing is to create stories around it, right? Uh, this is... This seems to be a, a very common thing of humanity through recorded history, uh, and even in oral tradition and things like that. So, that said, what do we see with regard to now? Well, a simple con uh, connection I can point to is the fact that in this one and in several others, right, we have this ominous figure, right, this entity, this being, just like in some of the conspiratorial things you tend to get now, right? There's always someone or something we're looking to blame when we don't know who or what to blame. Uh, so with the case of uh, COVID, right? Uh, we had these conspiracies coming up of the, you know, the always ever so elusive they, right? They, them, or sometimes they have a title, right? Uh, it can be in conspiratorial stuff. It's Bilderbergers, the... Illuminati, the political and social elite uber-rich who do heinous things, um, just a general disdain of government that they're trying to control us or, or whatever, right? Uh, we see that there's a constant reference to some mysterious and ominous they or them or it or whatever. So you see that even in modern times. Um, sometimes it gets pointed, as I've said before, it gets pointed at a political uh, figure here in the U.S. Oftentimes some politician or the president, whichever president that would be. Um, if it's not there, then it's some great elite or some hidden ruling class that controls the governments in the shadows or whatever. So you see how there's some of these things that have occurred, right? We... we we had the, in the U.S., um, and I think it kind of permeated some other cultures, this reference to um, people like Anthony Fauci uh, or uh, with the previous president, the 45th, um, 
his reference to China and causing this blame on China uh, and people kind of pointing to Fauci and how they were experimenting and they released it and some saying they did release it on purpose, others it was, you know, a mistake. But still there's this pointing to and then it can go a little crazier from there, right? Like we see some of the ways people do really nonsensical things because they're trying to figure out what to do with what they do have knowledge in. Thinking back to the case where they would take the pole and put bread on it or meat on it, and that was their gauge to determine if the plague was clear, which was not a good assessment. So in this case, right, I can look at uh, kind of a uh, abstraction of that, thinking about how there was a, a conspiracy that came up around COVID talking about the 5G towers, right? I'm sure you've heard that the 5G towers and that they were being used to propagate COVID into the mass population by the radio waves, which having been someone who's worked on radio transmission equipment in the military, uh, microwave transmission, stuff like that, I can tell you with certainty that would not be a First of all, I don't know how you would do that effectively. And second of all, um, you're likely to destroy the virus before it ever got to anyone. Um, microwaves um, tend to obliterate molecularly a lot of stuff or superheat it and damage it. Um, hence why we use microwave ovens, right? <laughs> so when you look at that, right, so here's this, I'm going to say the COVID tower is like the stick. And instead of it being something to gauge the disease, right? The disease itself is on the stick and it's being passed around through that, right? That's the, that's the conspiratorial thing. Um, now, we, we see how there's those things that happen. Now, in, in modern times, a lot of times we, we point to humanity. But in older times, right, they didn't know what to point to. And there was a bit more of a openness, I think, to spirituality and concepts of faith. And so the idea of ghosts or ethereal creatures was acceptable, right? The, the girl in yellow or the creature in Wales with the golden eyes and teeth and hair. Um, these, these entities, or like the coffin, right? In one of the stories, the coffin that moved around and passed the plague from house to house. Um, all these different references. But there's always some connection to certain uh, visuals, right? There's a, a physical being, there's a creature, um, there's the use of kind of rudimentary uh, of the time understood measures to try and figure out how to gauge whether it's safe or not. There's always a tendency for blaming, right? As we saw in the previous uh, Germany one, we saw that it was the anti-Semitic view, right? The Jews were bringing it to them, which was not the case, right? Um, pandemics, as we see in our current times, have nothing to do with a particular race or color of a person's skin or socioeconomic background. Uh, it shows no bias. It will go after anyone it can, right? And that's just kind of the nature of diseases and plagues in general. Their interest is to find a host, propagate as much as possible in that host, mutate if they can to try and contaminate more people and maybe even other species. And that's just the nature of, you know, diseases like these. That's what they want to do. They want to reproduce and spread and spread as much as they can. So that all said, 
right, let's uh, let's jump. There's a lot of them that are in Germany. Uh, I'll I'll maybe look at one more. Um, that has to do with like cholera in Germany, but I'm gonna switch back to another country because I don't like I said I don't want to linger in any one place. We're just kind of looking through history. So, all right. So the next one is looking at cholera in Germany, and here's the uh, narrative. Even today, there are many people in Pomerania who believe that cholera was intentionally brought into the country in 1831. It is said that a Frenchman did this in order to depopulate the country. Does that sound familiar? And thus make it easier to capture once again. To achieve this, the French attempted to sneak into the country in many ways and with many disguises. The following account about Stettin is told even today. One day a man carrying a large chest on his back entered the city through the Berlin Gate. He looked about fearfully in all directions and attempted to pass by the sentinels without being seen. However, he was noticed and taken to the guardhouse. They demanded that he open the chest. At first he refused, but finally he had to obey their commands. In the large chest they found a smaller one, and in, and in this one a smaller one still. Thus it continued for a time, until at last they opened the smallest one. Here they found a tiny, tiny human. He was the Frenchman who wanted to bring cholera into the city. Now, once again, did you, did you catch some of those interesting things? Maybe some stuff that seems familiar to what we've heard nowadays? Right? There's a, a focus on a particular ethnic group, right? The, in this case, a Frenchman. Uh, and what is his intent? To depopulate the country. Have we heard that before? Uh, with things like chemtrails, uh, with the 5G COVID towers, the whole reference of the Bilderbergs and this whole thing about trying to bring the population down to 500 million, something manageable on the earth, according to that conspiracy. But here again, right, this is, this is in the 1800s. And right there in Germany, right, we're seeing where they're looking at some Frenchman and his intent is to depopulate the country. And so he's bringing this disease, right? So we, we see how that's kind of similar. Uh, with some of the conspiratorial things we see now. Now, I don't say that to say that all this conspiracy is is people intentionally being ridiculous. I think in many ways, just like we see in these historical references, it's people trying to make sense with the limited knowledge and understanding they have, right? And, and we're all, in truth, right? We all have limited knowledge and understanding. None of us understand everything and see everything. That said, friends, I will continue with this right after this break. And we are back, friends. You know, one of the things I love about being able to pre-record my episodes is that I can take a lunch break and nobody knows unless I say something about it. <laughs> so I am recharged and ready to go. All right, friends, so... Before the break, we were kind of looking at some of the correlations we see with, um, you know, this plague uh, from 
of cholera from the 1800s to some of the stuff we see that happens now and how it gets correlated. Um, again, right, we're looking at people and there's a blame on a person. It's blame on a person from a country, much like what we saw with the 45th president and his blame of China and Wuhan uh, and the problems that caused, right? Because here in the U.S. and perhaps in other places as well, but certainly here in the U.S., it uh, caused a lot of problems for the um, Asian community here in the U.S. because, once again, people were looking at who to blame and were wanting to blame all Asians for what had occurred, which is neither accurate uh, nor fair to do. Um, and here you see the same thing happening in the 1800s in Germany with this Frenchman, whether he was real or mythical, um, and that he was the cause of it, right? It's these foreigners, right? Same thing we saw in Germany in the, the accounts in the 1500s, that they were blaming the Jews for bringing the disease, right? Uh, this seems to be a recurring pattern we see through human history, and uh, one that would hopefully, with time, diminish. Uh, it's, it's a challenging thing, right? But we see how some of these similarities are existing and how they continue to persist. That said, let's jump to a different country. We're going to head over to Switzerland and look at one that's referred to as the wedge in, wedged in plague smoke. And it goes a little something like this. A devastating plague laid waste to the village of Vigen, Wegen. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I'm not Swedish, obviously. Uh, W-E-G-G-E-N. One hour distant from Luzerne, L-U-Z-E-R-N. If I am butchering those, I apologize. I don't speak Swedish. I will do my best. <laughs> One day, the inhabitants of an old wooden house on the lake shore saw a small blue wisp of smoke. It hovered about and then floated into a crack in the wall. That is the plague, said someone who saw it, then went and drove a wedge into the opening. From the hour onward, the pestilence ceased in the village. Many years later, a member of the family enlisted in foreign military duty. When the soldier returned home again, his eye fell upon the one spot on the wall, and he remembered its history. Let's see, he said jokingly, if the little wisp of smoke is still there. Although someone begged him not to do so, he quickly pulled out the plug, and the blue smoke jetted out. The plague, liberated again, struck down the brash soldier as its first victim. Soon afterward, everyone in the house died, and many others in the village perished as well. So here again, right, we're seeing an object again, right, much like we saw with the coffin in a previous one, um, or the creature in Wales with the golden eyes and teeth and all that, right? This time it's smoke, and it's a colored smoke, right? Blue smoke. So <clears throat> as a person who has studied the arts, it's always interesting to me the color choices people choose to use when describing something. Um, 
there may be no symbolic meaning to it, or there could be, right? In history, oftentimes when you're talking about um, ruling governments or, or governing bodies, uh, thinking back to like Romans, Greeks, and others as well, the use of blue oftentimes return, re referred to some too. Oh, sorry, my brain's all over the place here. Let's try that again. The color blue <laughs> oftentimes referred to someone of nobility or royalty. But in this case, I don't know if that's, <laughs> if there would be any correlation to that, right? Um, but there may be something in culture in Switzerland, or there may have been in that time, uh, something about the color blue with regard to the smoke that may have symbolized something to the people. I, I don't know. Uh, but I'm always fascinated by things like that, right? Uh, and so here we have smoke, right? Which is a symbol we see when you think about uh, cartoons or things like that, and they try to depict some sort of odorous smell or some vile thing, right? Or even in movies like The Fog or The Mist, it's this thing that comes and it brings death, it brings destruction, or it brings some sort of uh, pestilence or zombies or whatever it is, right? Um, this is an image. This is imagery that has persisted through history for some time. We've changed it up. We've, through the use of CGI and other things, made it, you know, a little more than what you get in these stories, right? But by and large, you see these similarities in the imagery. And I say all that to say, many of these things we hear in conspiracies these days around COVID and just in general, they have their roots in much older mythology. Um, and so I think it's worth noting that and keeping in mind that, right, is that when we encounter these narratives that we hear, not only is it important to find good sources to uh, validate the information or invalidate it, right, but it's also good to remember the history as you can find it uh, to try to understand, is this novel, right? Is this new? Or have we seen this before? Has this occurred before? Have we encountered this as humans? Have human beings behaved this way before in the past? And as we've seen through this whole series, yes, over and over and again, yes. The patterns vary some, but through time, the patterns are similar, right? So, let's see, we'll jump over to one that has to do with Italy, Spain, and France. It's kind of most likely an area that was border to all three countries. So, this one is called Astrological Portents, and this one is back in 1345. So here's what it says. The year... 1345, was considered by the astrologers as one full of evil portents. In it many conjunctions took place, notably one on the 8th of February, when Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, the Sun, and Mercury were all standing in the same sign. When they talk about sign, they're meaning astrological signs, for those who may not follow that. Villainy, which is kind of an interesting name to give someone, uh, 
V-I-L-L-A-N-E-A-N-I, sorry, villainy in his Florentine Chronicle testifies to the profound impression which these astrological conjunctions produced and how much they were believed to have caused all the troubles which then visited Italy. The medical faculty of Paris declared these conjunctions to be one of the causes of the plague, the plague being the Black Death. And they repeat in their report almost the very words of the Toledo letter, without mentioning it by name. Um, and an interesting thing to look at, too, is in the year 1184, the world was startled by a letter purporting to come from the sages and astrologers of Toledo. It was sent to Pope Clement III and to other men of weight, informing them of impending doom. The world was to be destroyed in the year 1186 through wind and storms, drought and famine, pestilence and earthquakes. Now, once again, friends, <laughs> hearing some similarities that maybe you've heard in other um, more contemporary conspiratorial things, mythos, if you will. That's the case we hear, right? So this is back in 1345, but they're looking at now an inanimate thing, right? They're looking at the, the clockwork of space, the cosmos, and saying, oh, these things have aligned in this um, star pattern that we have designed, right? Those constellations aren't what they are because they are. They are what they are because we've assigned them that value, that meaning, that um, title. Because think about it. If you see that same constellation from a different perspective in the universe, um, it won't look the same, right? The formation likely wouldn't be the same. But anyways, I digress. So here we're looking at um, impending doom, right? The end of the world because of these signs in the heavens, right? The planets have aligned and all of that. And uh, it's also what released a plague, right? So this is something similar we see with some of, uh, some of these more new age and spiritual and kind of religious things that can occur. Not to say that everyone that is into those things is doing this, but it is something you, de you do send, tend to see happen, right? Is uh, uh, being one who's grown up in a Christian faith upbringing, I can say I've definitely seen that with some of these uh, so-called televangelists and prophets of God that say that, you know, these things are coming and then they give all these crazy dates and times and nothing, right? And sometimes it can end with very dire consequences, right? Thinking about the, the cults that thought that this comet that was going to come by back in the, what was it, the 70s? Uh, was signifying a mothership that was going to come and bring them and, or get them and take them to a better place, right? Um, Age of Aquarius, that kind of stuff, I think. Um, and those people ended up committing suicide drinking literally the Kool-Aid um, that had poison in it. And so you see these things where they're looking at things in the heavens, they're looking at beings, people, creatures, and assigning these meanings, these values, these portents to them 
right? So nothing is, is safe, right? Anything can become the focal point humanity chooses to put the blame upon. Could be a god, could be an animal, it could be a person, it could be an, the cosmos itself, whatever it is, right? We, we see these things that seem to be constant, regular patterns. And that's more indicative of what's going on within humanity, and perhaps in some ways with all truthfulness, where we still have forgotten to grow, right? Where we're not paying attention and growing well. Maybe that's just an inherent and constant flaw of humanity. I don't know. Nevertheless. So here we see one there. Now, we're going to jump over to Japan. And this one is, uh, this one's a little interesting. Uh, I'm not sure if it's referring to now. Well, it is referring to now, but it's also something of the past. So, here we go. This one is, and I may get the name wrong, it's A-M-A-B-I-E, Amabi, Amabi, I don't know, Amabi. The ancient beast helping Japan ward off the coronavirus. In Italy, they sing from balconies. In the UK, they place pictures of rainbows in windows. In India, they chant, Go Corona! Around the world, solidarity in the face of the coronavirus is taking many forms. Okay, so this is more modern time. Obviously, I'm reading this as I'm reading it with you. In Japan, that form has three legs, a beak, scaly skin, and floor-length hair. Meet Amabi, the 19th century half-fish, half-human, that resurfaced to keep people safe. The mermaid-like creature began appearing on social media in Japan in early March and was soon being tagged in upwards of 30,000 posts a day. Manga artists rendered the creature in their own styles, sharing images alongside messages wishing for an end to the virus. Amabi then got official recognition when Japan's health ministry made it the face of its public safety campaign. After that, it started appearing on cookies, face masks, candy, bread rolls, the obligatory Starbucks logo pastiche, and even statues in parks. According to a woodblock, block, not woodblock, but woodblock printed news sheet dated April of 1846. The creature made its first and only appearance in the Sea of Higo province, now what's known as Kumamoto Prefecture, on the southern island of Kyushu, or it could be Kyushu. As the story goes, a government official went down to the beach to investigate reports of something shining in the water. When the official arrived, a mermaid-like creature emerged, introducing itself as Amabi, who lives in the sea, and issued two predictions. For the next six years, there will be a bountiful harvest across Japan, but there will also be an epidemic. Amabi then told the official, quickly draw a picture of me and show it to people, and disappeared back into the sea. Nagano Eishun, I'm trying to pronounce that as best I know how, N-A-G-A-N-O, 
and then E-I-S-H-U-N, Librarian of the Fukui Prefectural Archives, and an expert on ancient spirits, says Amabi is one of more than a dozen prophecy beasts reported during the Edo period, and it probably derives from an ape-like creature with a similar name. In 1843, three years before Amabi first appeared, there were reports of a three-legged simian in the same province. The furry beast went by the name Amabiko, and its origin story was strikingly similar. A woodblock printed news sheet from the era said a man went down to the sea to investigate reports of glowing lights. Amabiko introduced itself, predicted a rich harvest and an epidemic, then claimed that people would survive and live long, healthy lives if they saw the creature's image. The two have so much in common, it's natural to think that Amabiko was Amabi's former self, says Nagano. And he says the monkey was far more famous than the myrrh creature in the 19th century. During times of plagues, such as cholera and dysentery, people used a picture of Amabiko as a good luck charm. Nagano says the creature probably changed form as its story spread across the country through drawings, and people took liberties with their interpretations. Now, humans never do that, right? He adds that commercial interests may have driven both the creativity and the creature's insistence that it had to be seen. The woodblock printed news sheet called, I'm going to try my best to say this, Kawaraban, Kawaraban, I don't know, C-K-A-W-A-R-A-B-A-N, was basically a single sheet of paper with a piece of illustrated news or gossip, he says. The producers always wanted an interesting story to catch people's attention, so they got inventive, like perhaps letting a spirit warn people they'd get sick unless everyone had a copy of that image. After many decades out of the spotlight, Amabi is finally getting the attention it craves with some help from social media. It seems human nature hasn't changed much since the 19th century, and the image of this creature, this strange creature, is still able to provide some kind of solace. But Nagano says that there is a fundamental difference between then and now. He says back in the 19th century, those images were only supposed to save the people who brought the news sheet, but now people are spreading the images to protect everyone. I would say that shows We've made big progress. <laughs> Interesting story. And here again, right, here's a creature. But this time it's not a creature like in Wales, right? The creature that had the gold teeth and eyes and hair that was bringing disease. Instead, this one was warning of disease, but said, if you look at my image, you'll be saved. Right? So, still creatures... Still some focal point, but this time uh, more of a, I'm going to say a savior figure or a messiah figure. Someone to save humanity from their troubles. And so in this case, right, we can see how this kind of narrative 
can bring comfort, but at the same point can be dangerous. And I can look at that by extrapolating and abstracting from that to now, right? It, let's say the idea of someone saying that wearing a mask will save you from disease. So people might do that. Or people might assume if they don't trust the government agencies, right, which is a nature you see in a lot of uh, conspiratorial things, then hearing a government say that will make you react in the opposite direction because you'll say, no, I can't trust you. And in doing so, you do so with dire consequence, right? As we know, COVID does have the ability to kill. Uh, and some are, are obviously more deadly than others, some variants. But this is the inherent problem, right? Is a picture alone doesn't do anything. Modern science and medicine would say a picture alone wouldn't fix anything. If it did, it would be very interesting, right? But we understand that there are practices that need to be put in play. So today, I look at that and say, this is similar to me with um, people of faith. And I'm going to focus on what I've known growing up, right? Which is the Christian faith. People of faith who have looked at these things and said, oh, well, God will save me. I won't wear a mask. I won't do any of this. God will take care of me. The, the decision to step out in faith like that, admirable, but I would, I would argue that it is perhaps foolish, right? Um, and I know that saying something like that can push some people to choose to just resist even more. It is the nature of how these th things tend to go. I'm not saying that faith is not of value. I'm not saying that there aren't things that science cannot explain that faith has caused in the world. But what I'm saying is you, you can't, or it's not wise to say one or the other must be true. You must weigh both, right? For those who are of faith, weigh both. Because what you don't want is to say, ah, well, this will be the case, and then you still get COVID, because now two things are damaged, your body and your faith view. Now you question, well, did God not hear me? Did God not care for me? Am I wrong in what I believed because I didn't listen to God properly? Or was it that, you know, much like the adage, right? There's this story of a flood that comes through an area and a man is stuck up on the roof and he declares, God help me. I'm going to die if you don't help me. And a man in a small boat comes by and says, hey, do you need help? I can, you can get in my boat and I can get you out of here. And the man says to him that's on the roof, no, it's okay. God's going to take care of me. So the boat leaves. A little time later, the man continues to say, God help me. Another man comes by with a, a larger boat, a motorized boat. Says, we've got people here. Come on, we'll take you. He says once again, no, I'm good. God will take care of me. So they're like, okay. And they leave. Lastly, as the water continues to rise, a helicopter comes and spots him and says, grab the, you know, the harness, the rope, and we'll save you out of here. We'll get you out of here. And once again, the man says, no, it's okay. God's going to take care of me. God's going to save me. The helicopter leaves. The water continues to rise. The man eventually drowns. And he finds himself standing before God and says, why didn't you save me, God? And God says, well, what else did you want? 
I sent you two boats and a helicopter. Little cheeky, but to make the point, right, that simply faith alone is not always the wise choice in that kind of connotation. You have to consider what's available to you. You know, God gave you a brain between, the, between those ears. So listen and think and, and process fairly, carefully, right? Um, and nothing against anyone that wants to believe in the Amabi thing or, or Amabiko or any of that, but simply to say there are some dangers that can arise when we, when we carry these beliefs out to their nth degree without really giving ourselves the opportunity to scrutinize, to question, to challenge the validness of it, right? The truth of it. Uh, or even just to say, maybe there's more I'm not seeing here, right? Much like the man who was ignoring the boats and the helicopter. That all said, I'm going to get quiet on this one because we've kind of gone over time for this episode. Uh, but as I said at the beginning of this, some of these might go a little longer because I don't want to end a story like in the middle. I'd like to try and finish it off. So, that all said, friends, I hope as we're going through these, you're finding some interest, you're finding something new and interesting you didn't know, you're learning some things. Maybe you're starting to see some of these correlations that maybe you hadn't seen before between the way humanity has behaved in history and the way we have used inanimate objects, myth mythical, ominous things, whether it's some sort of creature or a being or a person or the heavens themselves aligning in some way to try to explain what's going on, right? And some of the practices we do, put a piece of bread on a stick, and when it's no longer decaying, the plague is gone, which is not accurate. Put meat on a stick. No, that doesn't do it. Um, look at a picture, and suddenly the plague will, won't get you. Well, we hope so, but, you know, it may not be the case, right? So all of these things to say, friends, let's, let's continue Let's continue to think carefully about what goes on in the world around us and try to understand well what is occurring. Um, I am a person of faith myself, so for those of you that listen in, which I know there are some of you that are of faith, um, of various faiths, um, don't take what I'm saying to say that having faith is a problem. Simply what I am saying is be wise in your faith application and recognize that your brain is a gift from God as well, if you want to call it that, right? Um, and so let's use that along with our faith, right? Let's bring hope and wisdom. And with that all said, friends, uh, I'm going to wrap it up here for this episode. And I thank you, as always, for tuning in. And to those of you that are new listening in for the first time, glad to have you here. Hope you're enjoying it. Jump back some episodes and listen in on what else we've got going on in this uh, podcast. And certainly start at the beginning on these um, Myths of Plagues in History series, because I think you'll really get a better feel for where we're at if you start from the beginning and come through to where we are now. That said, friends, we will talk to you soon. Be blessed, and um, I appreciate you. Be good to yourself. Be good to those around you. Take care of yourself. You get one body. You get one life. Let's, let's use it well. Let's try to find ways to enjoy our life and to bring enjoyment to those around us as best we can. As always, friends, I would always appreciate your support financially and by spreading the word. You can uh, do so by sharing it on your social media. Uh, make sure you include the link uh, for my podcast, which is 
www.anchor.fm forward slash Joseph, J-O-S-E-P-H hyphen Guzman, G-U-Z-M-A-N hyphen M-A. And share that link and also remember to put the hashtag Anything Goes Podcast. That helps me to get the word out and get more listeners uh, and to help more people get an opportunity to experience what you're sharing with me in these, uh, this journey. And if you're in a position to do so, then you'd really be a, a great help if you can be a financial support. You can do that by also going to that website I just listed and clicking on the support button. And there you can support the podcast for as little as 99 cents a month. $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. If you decide that you want to do a larger contribution, you can hit that message button uh, and let me know, and I can arrange that for you so we can do that if you want to make a larger recurring support. Uh, that all said, friends, stay curious, stay kind, be good to yourselves and those around you, spread goodness and joy around you as much as you can. We're all going through some really rough times. This pandemic's been nobody's friend. Um, but let's also use our wisdom and continue to learn and explore and be curious. Uh, there's a big world out there. It's a big universe. Plenty to continue to learn. Let's not stop yet. See you on the next one, friends.